Welcome to the Gay Buddhist Forum, where teachers from all schools of Buddhism offer their perspectives on the Dharma and its application in modern times, especially for LGBTQI audiences. These talks are offered freely to the world and made possible by appreciative listeners. If you would like to support our efforts to share the Dharma with underserved audiences, please visit gaybuddhist.org. There you can donate, find a list of upcoming speakers, or enjoy many hundreds of these recorded talks dating back to 1996. sent me a link to an article that was in the Atlantic magazine and it was about um, it was kind of the synopsis of a research study that had appeared in the scholarly uh, journal Science and in this study a uh, researcher in psychology did um, uh, an experiment where basically the researcher and their team uh, asked a group of research subjects to uh, sit quietly with their thoughts and then report on that experience. So it's not about meditation, just regular people sit quietly with your thoughts and see what happens. And uh, to their surprise, they really weren't expecting this, uh, the majority of people found it to be a pretty unpleasant experience. Huh. 
<laughs> might, say, might, sound, might sound familiar to some of you. And so they continued the experiment, and um, they even at one point um, gave the subjects the opportunity to either continue sitting with their thoughts for a period of time or give themselves an electric shock. <laughs> Believe it or not, the majority of men in the study chose the electric shock. So, uh, that's pretty interesting, huh? That's dukkha. That's a great definition, example of dukkha or dissatisfaction or what happens when we actually sit down and get quiet and pay attention to our experience. Um, we find that our experience is, is uh, not quite so peaceful and quiet as we might have thought it was. And uh, how this relates to meditation I find to be really interesting because uh, when people try to meditate and if they don't get any instruction, if they don't have a teacher and they don't have any kind of support, uh, when people try to meditate, basically what they're doing is they're closing their eyes and sitting with their thoughts and finding it to be a terrible experience. So um, it really helps to have some instruction and uh, uh, we're privileged to have that uh, every once in a while here at GPF. So meditation is not just about sitting and talking to ourselves, which is kind of what that that default process is that studied in that, that they looked at in that study. Meditation is is the practice of mindfulness, and mindfulness is uh, nothing more than being receptive to whatever's happening in the present moment without judgment. The key words being receptive present moment and without judgment. So when people, I teach a beginning meditation course, I'm actually in the middle of doing it right now, and when beginners um, in meditation tell me that they, they can't meditate or they've tried and they just can't do it or it's really difficult for them, um, I think what they're talking about, if we explore it a little bit, is uh, not being present in the moment, not being, not the part about being receptive in the moment, because there's nothing easier, right, than simply being receptive to what's happening in the moment. The problem is the judgment part, is they can't turn off their judging mind. In other words, they um, very often have this idea of what meditation is, and when they close their eyes and relax and, and try to achieve their idea of what meditation is, they get something else altogether different and they think they're doing it wrong. They think they're making a mistake. And then they judge that experience like, oh, I'm not any good at this. Or it doesn't work. Or my mind doesn't go all tranquil like it's supposed to when you meditate. But being receptive in the present moment without judgment means that you know you might be witnessing a, a monkey mind, a busy mind, where your thoughts are just jumping around in an uncontrolled manner in the same way that monkeys kind of play in the trees, call it monkey mind. And if you can withhold judgment about that and just see it as uh, a process, uh, it's bearable. 
You don't have to give yourself an electric shock. So um, that's mindfulness, being receptive in the present moment without judgment. And meditation is not exactly the same thing as mindfulness. Meditation is simply the practical application of mindfulness. Meditation is when we intend to sit down and do nothing but be mindful of our experience, as we just did for half an hour. But we can be mindful in everyday life. It's just it's more difficult when we have lots of sense um, objects happening and we're talking to people and interacting and looking around and there's a lot of distractions. It's harder to be mindful. It's easier when we, when we meditate and practice it. So the Buddha um, had this wonderful teaching um, and the, the sutta uh, that uh, is called the Satipatthana Sutta. Uh, that sutta is a, a teaching um, about mindfulness, about what to do with our minds when we meditate, what to do, how to be mindful. Because meditation is not that passive activity where we just sit and listen to ourselves um, talk. Meditation is about um, the practical application and, a, and an intentional uh, look at what's going on with the mind and then working with that. So there's a whole list of instructions that the Buddha gave about how to, how to be mindful, what to do with the mind in meditation, and they're, they're really useful. And the, what I love about it is that um, it, it gives you a wonderful menu of meditation practices. So if whatever you're doing in your meditation isn't working, there's something else you can try, or there's an antidote to that. So there are four foundations of mindfulness, and I'm giving four talks on them. And the first talk, some of you might have heard last month, a month ago, the first talk was mindfulness of the body. And mindfulness of the body is, is the most fundamental foundation of mindfulness because um, we always have our body. Our body is always at the present moment. And our body includes our breath. So um, it's fundamental because if we get lost in thought or confused or we're all caught up in, in some feeling or emotion uh, or mental habit, um, we can come back to our breath. We can come back to our body and, and kind of reboot and re-enter the present moment. If you want to get out of your head, there's nothing more effective than getting into your body. So that's what I talked about last month. And the body is a really easy thing to be receptive about. You just sit down and pay attention to, okay, what's going on with my body? What's my breath doing? Just be receptive. Just notice. But the other three, the next three foundations of mindfulness, um, is what I'm going to be talking about this month and, and in upcoming talks, um, are more about working with the mind, working with what goes on with the mind and doing some investigation. Knowing and training the mind. Knowing the mind and training it. And the reason we want to know the mind and train the mind is um, because that's the path to happiness. That's the path to freedom. The Buddha said, I teach only suffering and the end of suffering. That's the only thing the Buddha taught was suffering and the end of suffering. And another way of putting that is the Buddha taught happiness and um, the path to happiness. It's just the flip side of the coin. 
So understanding and retraining the mind, reconditioning the mind, is um, how we create happiness in our lives. So the first foundation of mindfulness is about the body. The second foundation of mindfulness, um, very fundamental, is um, in the Pali language, in the Buddhist language, it's called Vedanas. And that's translated as feeling tones. And it's not feelings um, like we normally uh, define them in, in, uh, in English as, as emotions. Emotions in, in Buddhism actually come under the category of thoughts, um, into the category of thoughts. And that's what we're talking about next month. But feeling tones, or Vedanas, and I'm going to keep using that word, Vedanas, feeling tones are simply one of three things. Feeling tones are either the experience of pleasant, the experience of unpleasant, or the experience of neutral, neither pleasant nor unpleasant. Joseph Goldstein, who is um, one of my favorite teachers and a really prominent um, Western meditation teacher says, mindfulness of feeling tones is one of the master keys that both reveals and unlocks the deepest patterns of our suffering. So um, feeling tones, noticing feeling tones, it's, it's really fundamental to this, this um, practice of finding more happiness and eliminating unhappiness in our lives. Feeling tones, I already said, is the uh, Vedanas, is the second foundation of mindfulness, topic of this day's talk. It's also one of the five aggregates. And the aggregates, the five aggregates, are the five things that make you up as a human being. So one of the five fundamental things about being human is having these feeling tones. And Vedna is also a really important link, a key link, in the chain of dependent origination. And that's a whole other talk, dependent origination. But basically, dependent origination, that, that teaching is a flowchart of how we either create suffering or create happiness in our experience. So Vedna's, the teaching of Vedna show up in all these different areas. So pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral. These are not judgments. This is, Vedanas are precognitive. So, it might be a little hard to wrap your head around. Um, Vedanas are precognitive. So, anything that happens in your experience from a bodily sensation, an ache in your knee, uh, to a thought, to an emotion, to a sound that you hear, to your sensation of whatever the temperature in this room is, Whatever phenomena you're noticing right now in this moment has one of those feeling tones. It's either pleasant, it's unpleasant, or it's neutral. And it might change. So think, you know, think about it. the temperature in the room right now. Is it pleasant? Is it unpleasant? Is it neutral? And this is um, this is precognitive. This is before you decide. Pleasant is something I like, and unpleasant is something that I don't like. That's judgmental. That's getting. That's judging. You can't. You can't stop. Vedas. You can't avoid them. Everything is pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. 
so vagueness, these feeling tones, condition our reactions to um, what's happening in our mind and what's happening in the world. So going back to that study, when these people were, students were asked to sit down and, and be quiet and just be with their, um, whatever's going on with their minds, sit quietly with their thoughts, um, the first thing that, that came up for them is that it was unpleasant for many, for the majority, that it was an unpleasant activity. And the next thing was, um, I need to get rid of it. Um, I'll do anything if I to, to distract myself from this unpleasant activity, um, right down to giving myself a shock so that I don't have to do it anymore. So that's a whole chain of, of going from unpleasant to I don't like it, to I need to get rid of it, or I really hate this. And we do the same thing with the pleasant. We have a pleasant experience. It's oh, this is this is really nice. Um, I want this to continue. I don't want it to go away. And, so, and now you're in fear already. I'm afraid that it's going away. Or you're in grasping, clinging. I want to hold on to this, and that's suffering too. When we are not mindful, when we're not noticing this process happening. Pleasant feelings habitually condition desire and clinging. Unpleasant feelings habitually condition dislike and aversion. And neutral feelings habitually condition delusion, not knowing what's going on. So vagueness, feeling tones, is the very core beginning of the process of our of creating dukkha, of creating discomfort in the world, and dukkha is basically being uncomfortable with whatever's going on. I want more of the good stuff. I want less of the bad stuff. We're either pushing or pulling, and that's um, that's suffering. That's what makes our lives stressful and uncomfortable. Is not being comfortable whatever's going on in the moment. So, in this sense, because since the Vedas are um, precognitive, and they happen no matter what, I'm not telling you to stop having them because you can't. Nor, this is might be a real stretch for you, nor is pleasant good or unpleasant bad. My pleasant might not be your pleasant. I don't know how you're relating to this warm weather, but um, yes, late yesterday afternoon I was finding it pretty unpleasant. And I went outside and took my dog for a walk and ran into my neighbor who's from Tahiti and she said, oh, is it this great? <laughs> <laughs> so my pleasant might not be your unpleasant. And so we can even experience, have this experience in our, in, our, in our every moment, momentary experience, whatever's going on, whatever thought is arising is unpleasant pleasant or neutral. If we don't judge it, then it's just pleasant or unpleasant, and then it will change. It will be something else. If we do judge it, 
then we're reacting, then we get all caught up in it, and then we start creating stress. So, this um, ability to see what's happening in the present moment of our experience without judging, without getting on the bandwagon, is the beginning of freedom from suffering. How we go about freeing ourselves from stress. Um, I know most of you have heard about the, the two arrows metaphor that the Buddha use, uses, and, uh, but I've got to repeat it just because you can't say it enough. The Buddha said that every experience we have, um, no matter what it is, um, consists of, it is really two experiences. One is whatever happens to us, and the second experience is how we respond to that. So even a thought or a memory is, is a phenomenon, it's an experience. If we have a memory, it just pops up all by itself. Um, that's, the, that's, the, that's the first arrow that hits us. That's, and we don't usually invite memories, they just show up, right? They just kind of hit us like an arrow, like, whoa, where'd that come from? So that's the first arrow, is having a memory. The second arrow is how we respond to that. So if we have a memory of something we did in the past that was unskillful and, and um, we regret, the second arrow is, is remorse or guilt. Likewise, um, well, the first arrow can be anything. It can be any phenomena. If you, if you catch a cold, um, that's just something that happens, not your fault. You've you got a cold, you got a bug, you got a cold. That's the first arrow. The second arrow is how you respond to that. Like, oh, this is really a drag. Now I'm, now I'm either going to have to go to work and be miserable or not go to work and I don't deserve this and why is this happening to me and I'm really feeling miserable and it's just going to ruin my week. So it's a beautiful metaphor because the, the, the Buddha said, pay attention to the difference between the first arrow and the second arrow because the first arrow, more often than not, we can't do anything about it. First arrow is what happens to us in life. You get a cold, you get a cold. The second arrow is how we respond to it. And the second arrow is what we can have an impact on, what we have a choice about. It's our response. So, um, Every experience, every thought, every sound we hear, every physical sensation we have has this, this, this core attribute of either being pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. Kind of dependent on your, on your karma, on you know, how, you, how you have learned to experience life. And the second arrow is what you do with that, or whether you do anything with it. So learning how to simply be with the, whatever's coming up in the present moment, without judging, and just being responsive. In other words, practicing mindfulness can be a really tremendously great support in everyday life. And learning how to not create so much suffering. <laughs>
So it's a, a practice that um, has giving, given me a lot of solace and uh, created a lot of happiness in my life. Simply learning how to be with whatever's going on without judging it. What happens if we don't do that, if we're not mindfulness, if we're not mindful, if we, if we get caught up in hope and fear responses? And it's really interesting how much hope and fear um, regulates our lives and our behaviors. Fear of, um, I don't want that to happen. Or even fear of something, if something good's going on. Fear of, of losing it. I don't want to lose that. I want to keep the good stuff in my life and I want to push away the bad stuff in my life. <coughs> so the alternative is not getting lost in that kind of reactivity. It's possible to end our suffering by abandoning these reactive tendencies in our mind. And that's what the practice is about. That's what meditation practice is about. So I really want to invite you and encourage you to um, play with this in your meditation. For one, for one thing, if you're not being mindful, if you're not meditating um, regularly, give it a try. And try to um, try to work in this uh, reminder all the time of not being judgmental of whatever's going on whatever's going on. If your meditation is not perfect tranquility or calm, see if you can not be judgmental about that. You just say, okay, I'm just going to sit anyway. See what happens. And notice that it changes. And it passes away. The difficult stuff changes, passes away. The pleasant stuff changes and passes away. Sometimes working with pleasant in, in meditation practice is just as difficult or more so than working with unpleasant because we have a pleasant med meditation and everything seems kind of calm and, and tranquil and, and pleasant and our next meditation is not like that and we think well what happened you know, I thought I had it, I thought I got it down and now it's different, well that's, that's the way the mind works no matter how experienced you are so meditation and mindfulness isn't so much about creating more pleasant experience. And this is the mistake that so many of us make, is we're doing meditation in order to get something, to get more pleasant, right? Meditation isn't about creating pleasant or pushing away unpleasant. That's what we do in everyday life. That's what creates our suffering. It's grasping at pleasant, pushing away unpleasant. Mindfulness practice is about accepting the pleasant and the unpleasant without being judgmental about it and realizing that whatever happens passes and finding some equanimity, some peace out of that. It's really difficult for us to do, especially us Westerners, because we tend to be so judgmental. There's a... Uh, a story I heard once about um, <clears throat> when Westerners, Americans, first started going to Asia to learn how to meditate. And um, it might have been Joseph Goldstein, one of one of our early teachers, uh, went to uh, was doing a meditation 
retreat of two or three years with a very famous um, uh, Asian Thai meditation master and um, in an interview um, the, the meditation teacher asked him How, how's it going and uh, Joseph said well I just you know I'm having a lot of thoughts and and I'm particularly having a lot of judgmental thoughts about, you know, I'm not good enough and I'm not doing this right and, and it's really hard and I'm just beating myself up. And the meditation teacher looked really confused, just baffled, and then and said, well, just don't do that. <laughs> so it's kind of a cultural thing for us that does exist so much. In, in you know, Asian cultures, this self-critical, you know, constant judging mind—it's um, a really good thing to be aware of, and to—and um, again, to not try at least right away. Don't try to change it. Just go. Oh, there's my judgmental mind going. Isn't that interesting? Look how much time I spend judging myself, especially in meditation. Look at how much time I spend criticizing my experience. This isn't what's supposed to be happening. Something else is supposed to be happening. So this is the this is um, step two in the path to end suffering. Noticing uh, the qualities of our experience. Noticing pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral. Before we turn them into judgments. Noticing them as a core experience in the present moment. So it's an option for your meditation. Uh, last month, I, when I was talking about the first foundation of the body, I was saying when you meditate, stay focused on your breath, stay focused on your body. Whenever your mind wanders, come back to your body. This month, with um, with vagueness, with the second foundation of mindfulness, we, we're starting to investigate the nature of our experience. Next month we're going to be talking about working with thoughts, which will be really interesting. But this month it's about investigating the nature of our experience and this, this quality of pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. So if you want, in your meditation, or even just in everyday life, driving the car, every once in a while just check in. What's the quality of my experience? Is, this, is, is driving the car pleasant? unpleasant or neutral? Is crawling into bed at night pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral? Is what I'm having for lunch pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral? And just notice the quality of that experience and then let it go, let it be. If it's unpleasant, you just go, oh, unpleasant is happening. Unpleasant feels like this and then it'll be something else. So it's a great tool to have in your meditation toolbox and it's um, kind of an interesting thing to play with. Learning about the mind is really interesting. Exploring <coughs> our minds is interesting. Meditation should be interesting for you. I hope it is. So thank you for your attention uh, once again. And um, I happy to entertain questions or comments or feedback or objections, whether they be pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. <laughs> <laughs> yes, 
John. Uh, thank you, David, uh, for clarifying a very difficult subject. It's difficult in the degree of subtlety of it. Um, I remember uh, being on retreat and Donald Rothberg said, uh, he said, basically, one of his teachers, Brendan Gray, said 90% of spiritual work occurs in the vagueness. And that, that in terms of the, you know, the, the end of suffering, that is really, it's so uh, critical to, to admit that, you know, yeah. the thoughts, all the, the reactivity that usually follows like, right there, uh, because it's just so reflexive. Yeah. It's like uh, reptilian. It is reptilian, yeah. yeah. Yeah, thank you for saying that because it's, um, I didn't say this, but in the the chain of dependent origination, which is a, this flow chart that, that, about how we experience the world and how we react and how we create our suffering, it's like a twelve-step chain, and Vedna's is about the fourth step from the bottom. Um, the, the first step being contact is we we our, our mind contacts and experience. But anyway, Vedna's, this is supporting what you're saying, Vedna's is the step at which it's most easy to change your experience, to stop your, your reactive response and do something else. Because once we get into clinging and grasping and pushing away, which are more advanced steps in the process, it's really hard to change anything. You know, once, you get, once you get attached to you know, wanting something, it's hard to stop the wanting. But if you're if you're at the step of just noticing, oh, this is pleasant, um, and you can just let it be, then then suffering ends. Suffering ends right there. Oswaldo. Well, we were meditating. Somebody walked uh, across the room upstairs, and and, and the uh, the water pipe uh, started making a kind of loud noise. And, uh, uh, yeah, I think for me that was a good example of that. Uh, I noticed in this unpleasant, unpleasant. <laughs> yeah. but, but there's also part of that was anticipating, oh, it's ending, or hearing the next time the steps were happening, yeah. anticipating an unpleasant experience, yeah. and that by itself was unpleasant. Yeah. Perfect example. Perfect example. And sound is a really easy place, easy place I find to work with this because the sound you can kind of depersonalize a little bit. You know, it's not so much like a thought or a memory. A sound is just a sound. It can be pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. And yeah, I had the same experience. I heard that sound and thought, oh, okay, that's loud. <laughs> kind of unpleasant. And then, and then I just let go of it. But sounds can sometimes be a really um, great help in your meditation practice because if you... Um, get caught up in thoughts like we all do and start drifting away and thinking about something else and somebody sneezes or coughs it can bring you right back into the moment so it can be a blessing please thank you um, I'm having difficulty wrapping my brain around pleasant, unpleasant neutral as not being judgments yeah. I think I can get a little bit of a, uh, uh, um, the difference between those and the following judgment, but it's, they still seem like judgments to me. Yeah, it's I, um, that's a really common uh, 
struggle. It's hard to separate kind of the core reptilian feeling of pleasant from the judgment that happens immediately, which is that pleasant is good or unpleasant is bad. Um, I can only say practice with it. See if you could notice pleasant and unpleasant in your experience without um, without jumping right away to good or bad. This is good or bad. So you know, hot weather can be pleasant or unpleasant depending on kind of what your preferences are. Um, can you just say, oh, okay, well, it's hot today. Hot's hot's like that. Hot feels like this. That sounds like. If, Objective is that everything always ends up being neutral. I guess I don't see how pleasant the experience of pleasant can't shift into good versus unpleasant being bad. It just it's it's just it's our habit of mind to do that. It's our habit of mind to label pleasant good and, and unpleasant bad. It's one of the ways that this. Um, Quandary you're pointing out is, is, is used in meditation practice very effectively as in working with pain. And there are meditation teachers that are much more adept than I am at, at helping people work with pain. And if you have chronic pain, say you've got a bad knee or chronic backache, um, our, our what our minds jump, our minds very quickly jump from okay, this is unpleasant. It's bad. I have to do something about it. Um, this is the status of my being. This is that I've got a bad back, and it's it's really unpleasant, and I'm really suffering a lot. If instead of doing that, you you go back to the the, the core unpleasant experience. Okay, I've got a backache, and instead of labeling it bad, got to get rid of it. Notice the physical characteristics of it. That means, okay, it's burning, it's throbbing, it's tingling, it comes and goes, it moves around, or it stays in the same place, it's warm, it's heat. If you can start noticing those, um, on a very intimate level, those aspects of, of pain, what you'll notice is that it changes all the time. The tingling comes and goes, the heat comes and goes, um, and then you notice that the quality of pain is uh, is not constant. And that there's actually periods of relief. So if you can understand pain, an unpleasant feeling, in that way, uh, rather than labeling it bad and permanent, you'll suffer a lot less. Say, oh, okay, it's you know now it's burning, now it's tingling, now it's not so bad, now it's, it's it's coming and going. So we're noticing what we're and and this is what we do with, always with meditation practice is we try to stay with the direct experience of what's actually going on without labeling too much. I don't know how to better ex- explain it to you, but it's it's it is our habit. Does somebody? help me out with this. It is our habit to, to, to put labels on our experience just immediately. I'm just wondering if the, the labels might be 
attraction and aversion, so that it's um, as opposed to pleasant and unpleasant, which makes it sound like you're you're judging because of you're you're using two versions of the same word. Could certainly. But could. attraction is kind of like magnetic or something. It's like yeah. despite yourself, you're 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 drawn to something. Yeah, it's all it's it's those are perfectly fine labels, but. Mm -hmm. I could also see calling those judging, too. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, you know, maybe we're just not using the right language for pleasant or unpleasant, but um, pleasant, pleasant or unpleasant is such a core thing. It's, it's, the, it's, it's reptilian, as Jeffrey said. Actually, when I was thinking about this the other day, the, the example that came to my head that'll make you laugh is, um, when I drive by a, a feedlot in the Central Valley and I smell Commodore, <laughs> it's pleasant because I was raised in, um, in, in farm country. I was, I was raised in the Midwest and it you know, brings up childhood. Like, oh, I know that smell. That's familiar. It's, I kind of like it. But that's probably not most of your experience. <laughs> I would guess most people find it unpleasant. But it's just this kind of reptilian thing that comes to me right away. And if I actually think about it a bit, like, you know, okay, that's sulfur and whatever it is, um, I'll decide it's unpleasant. Like, okay, yeah, it's really not a very good smell. But my core direct experience is, is pleasant. Yes? Thanks for your talk. And uh, I like to say, is it odd or is it God? Because um, this is what I've been struggling with a lot. I, at your last talk, part one, it was really, it was very helpful for me, very practical advice, and I've um, been applying it where I come back to the body, come back to the breath. But man, I've had really, really active monkey mind every time I meditate, and actually, I haven't meditated as often because of it. I started yeah. to kind of like get frustrated. Last, on Friday, I went to another Dharma talk, and that's why I say it's about, there's a God, that, that whole Dharma talk was about. Uh, monkey mind and like the analogy that he gave was um, that you're you're uh, on the freeway of meditation and your brain's constantly looking for an exit to get out of being present and so you see the exit and the way to not take the exit for me has been that during this whole meditation I might have monkey mind I was thinking don't take the exit and I would say I start coming back to counting my breaths. And, um, but the thing that's funny is the, the layers of judgment. So I, I see the exit. I judge myself. Uh-oh, you're seeing the exit. You want to take the exit. Uh-oh, you took the exit. You're not supposed to take the exit, stupid. Get back to the breath. No, I'm still on the exit. It's like this whole like, spiral. <laughs> someone's cell phone rings, you, it, it's unpleasant. Um, and then you start thinking, what an asshole, why you turn someone <laughs> off? And then you, it's like you take it, you go there. Yeah. Whereas if you just said, whereas if a dog was sitting on the cushion napping and the cell phone went off, the dog's ears might perk up for a second, but he would just 
or she would just lay that down. It wouldn't turn into this like story. Yeah. Yeah, the, the other place, thank you, that, that was really beautiful. The, the other place I go when somebody's cell phone goes off, what happens with me now, because I've been working with groups like this for seven years now, is I feel really badly for them, for that person. Yes. Like, oh, I'm glad, that, I'm glad I'm not that person. <laughs> <laughs> And once I was teaching, like I am today, and I was, you know, I was in the middle of the meditation. I realized that I had forgotten to turn myself, <laughs> and I suffered a lot. It never went off. I suffered a lot. <laughs> uh, yeah, kind of like, uh, the, the story you told about the meditation master reminds me of a story I heard about the Dalai Lama, which may or may not be apocryphal. A Westerner was interviewing him a long time ago and asked him about self-hatred. And Donald was totally perplexed. He said, I don't know what you're talking about. And when the Westerner explained this is such a common phenomenon in, in the West, Donald uh, started crying for, for how horrible suffering it must, it must be to experience that. But that was, it was a concept that was the only thing. Yeah. I, again, I don't know whether that really happened, but I heard a story. And I, and I, yeah, that's very similar. Yeah. Um, I, I, I do have a question about, you know, I, I can understand the reactivity. And from somebody has a struggle with road rage, um, that's, that's an issue for me. Um, but, but there are times where taking action does cease the unpleasant experience or or keeps for a little while longer the pleasant experience. And uh, I'm trying to separate that from you know, trying to be reactive, like, like I got to change, I got to, versus yeah. I have an itch, okay, well, I'm going to scratch it and just, you know, sit here and, and itch. Yeah. Uh, and th that doesn't seem like that's a, that's a negative, unspiritual thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> no, because it's, obviously, if, if there's something you can do, um, about your situation to, to make it better or make it less worse, by all means, do it. Nobody's saying, you know, don't take action in the world. We don't become passive. Yeah, so, so, and that's kind of like, so that isn't like being reactive to just address the, the issue. I, I, I guess reactive, what I'm saying, is kind of like, like an emotional flare-up that doesn't really change the situation, just, except, except for making you feel worse than, than, than the first time. Yeah, well, reactive can be very subtle. Reactive, there's all there's all different levels of reactive. But um, the, the interesting thing, the scratching the itch thing, is 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 an interesting thing. It's often brought up in um, teaching meditation. Is do you, do you ever notice that what happens if you don't scratch an itch? Usually goes away, all by itself. It goes away sooner to scratch it. So that itch might be a bad relationship, it might be a handicap, it might be, you know, your struggles with your boss. You, you know, there's a lot of itches in life. And um, and, and, and scratching them immediately it doesn't isn't always necessarily the the the, the best long term solution. Sometimes when you scratch an edge, it gets worse. <coughs> Sometimes it gets worse. Hell. Thank you, David. Wonderful, wonderful continuation of your talk. I appreciated the example you used of dealing with pain. 
And I have heard the phrase, uh, there's pain and then there's suffering. And it seems to me that the suffering may result from a lack of recognition and investigation of the experience of the pain. Um, because I have been thinking about what you taught at the retreat using the RAIN uh, technique of investigating an experience. Yeah. And that partic particularly to me has been helpful in uh, dealing with pain. And I just want to well, um, I'm going to repeat that rain thing Please. next time, next next month, mm -hmm. um, when we're talking about working with thoughts. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting practice. I thought I just remembered another example. This is not right off your yours. It's not about pain, but I remember um, Ajahn Sumedho who's a one of the great meditation masters of our time. He's an American who trained and lived most of his time in Asia. And his teacher, Ajahn Chah, was, they, they were sitting in a, they were teaching in Thailand in a group, and there was, um, and they're monks, so they're celibate. And there was a really pretty girl sitting up in the front row, and at the, at the end of the day of teaching, um, Ajahn Sumedho's uh, teacher leaned over to him and said, what do you think of that girl? And Samato said, well, she, she was pretty. It was pleasant having her here. Uh, but I didn't want her. And uh, that's a beautiful example of appreciating the pleasant without going to wanting, without jumping to wanting. So likewise, how you know? How often can, can we as gay men? This is a you know. Now that I'm in my sixties <laughs> and retired, how often can we as gay men you know, see somebody we're that, that's attractive and not go right to wanting? Like, oh, what a handsome guy! And that's that's all because the wanting has suffering in it, right? Back. Thank you. Um, when the, the the neutral is kind of confounding because, in a sense, it it almost you know I mean as you as you talk about these these uh, these three states, I can I can understand that they come at a cellular level before we react to them or before we think of them. As you say, the reptilian brain, but. Neutral, since, since a lot of our mode of meditating is to be quiet and withdrawn, somehow neutral seems to have value. But then when I follow it too far, instead of happiness, you know, you end up with indifference and, 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 um, and non-engagement and not, not being connected to things. And even, even in the meditation, fighting with your own thoughts about getting back to neutral. And it's kind of like, well, maybe that's not really the goal, you know, getting to neutral and stopping the, the thoughts. No, it's not. And um, thank you so much for bringing up neutral because I kind of neglected it in, in talking about it. Neutral's the hardest one of the three to spot. And you said, it, you, it originally you said neutral's kind of confounding. That's exactly what neutral is. Mm -hmm. Neutral is confounding. Mm -hmm. Neutral, the, if, if you dwell in neutral or if you're stuck in neutral, um, 
where you end up is delusion, which is one of the worst worst places to be in, in Dharma practice. Well, why is that? I, I'm sorry? I don't understand why delusion is not being neutral. Neutral is not knowing what's going on, not being not being aware of what's going on. It's, in neutral, we don't even notice, right? If you're if you're having um, if you're having, for instance, my, uh, I'm not thinking of a good example, but neutral might be your feeling about the color of the wall in this room, or, uh, or the temperature, or something that you're just not even aware of. It's not on your, it's not on your radar. You know, we notice what what is pleasant, and we notice what's unpleasant. Mm-hmm. We don't notice. It's neutral. It's invisible in our experience. Well, the, the word that was coming to mind uh, was distraction. You know, the neutral is kind of like boring, get distracted and caught up with the next pleasant or unpleasant. Something yeah, pleasant like, or unpleasant or loud. They have yeah, their, they, their attention they pull you one way or the other. Yeah. Uh, Jerry. Well, you know, so for, to me, it's what I've been taught neutral was okay, I could react to the person upstairs, or I could say, there's a person walking across the room. Wouldn't that be neutral? Another way, yeah, another way of, of the, the way, well, the sometimes is, the way neutral is defined is neither pleasant nor unpleasant. Right. It's, it's not even a state unto itself. It's yeah. neither pleasant nor unpleasant. But it can be... But you can notice it, though. Hmm? But you... It's hard to notice. It's hard. It's hard to notice what's neutral in your experience. That's the, you know, there's so much stuff in our in our what we see, what we hear in our in the the sensory world that we're always editing out a lot of it. But wouldn't that be a way of saying before we go to pleasant or unpleasant, a person walking across the floor? Oh, it's just a person walking across the floor. Right. I didn't judge it for being negative or for being hot or being. Yeah. Feeling good or not feeling good, just a person walking across the floor. If you're truly neutral, you might not have noticed it at all. True. Dave, we have time for just one more show. Okay, one last I was just going to say a comment about the neutral is, um, you know, I, I would tend to find when I'm mindful of something, it tends to take on either pleasant or unpleasant. Whereas when I, like you said, when I don't notice it, it's, I don't notice that it's neutral. But if I if I thought about you know the wall, the brick wall, which was neutral, if I become mindful, I think, oh, it's kind of pleasant. It looks kind of nice. Um, so it changes when you're mindful of it. Is what I that's think. a really beautiful way of putting it. Thank you. Thank you for that. That's I, that's what I was trying to say. Not very successful. You just said it. <laughs> thank you. So thanks here for your attention. Next month we're going to be talking about. Um, working with thoughts, and especially working with difficult thoughts and difficult emotions that come up in meditation. So, more tools. Thank you. Uh, next week, our speaker will be Bill Weber, who is a uh, senior Vipassana practitioner and a graduate from the Spirit Rocks Community <coughs> Dharma Leaders Program. Um, Dharma is the Pali word for generosity. It's uh, what supports our Sangha in all that we do, including having this beautiful space and our outreach and our newsletter and things. So um, a suggested donation of $10 helps us maintain the sangha. Uh, do we have announcements? Do we have a list?
Yes, um, I'm hosting. So there's healthy fruit, and then there's some unprocessed, no, processed food type of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> With limited sugar added, so it's not too bad. Um, there's a sign-up sheet if you want to get on GBF's mailing list so that you can you know, be in touch with what's going on. Um, a group of us meet at 12.30 to go to lunch. Just meet at the front of the building. Um, help yourself to tea. And I'll have hot soapy, well, it doesn't get very hot. I'll have soapy water in a little plastic tub. Just place your cup there and I will mindfully wash them all with less water. <laughs> coordinator of hosts, and one of our hosts um, has had a conflict with all and um, won't be able to commit on a regular basis any longer, so looking for somebody who might be looking for an opportunity to serve the Sangha in an um, occasional way, it, 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 it's once every two months is the commitment that we ask for, and it's I have found it a very uh, pleasant and um, fulfilling way to be of service to the, to the group. So um, if this may be of interest to you, please speak to me in the near social hour. Thank you. Okay, let's uh, gather in a circle for education. <laughs> By the power and truth of this practice, may all beings have happiness and the causes of happiness. May all be free from sorrow and the causes of sorrow. May all never be separated from the sacred happiness, which is without sorrow. And may all live in equanimity, without too much attachment or too much aversion, believing in the equality of all that lives. Thank you for listening to the Gay Buddhist Forum. If you would like to hear several new talks per month and be notified of upcoming speakers so you can participate live, please subscribe to this podcast, like us on Facebook, and join our mailing list by visiting gaybuddhist.org.